Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Attention nerds. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire The Riley and Kimmy Show. The Riley and Kimmy Show. And welcome to this throwback Thursday episode. If you're listening today, it's uploaded. This is episode number 1,213. Right next to me is... Jenny! I got one name! Jenny! Hello, everybody! Hello, everybody! Hi! Hi. I am your host, Patrick Riley. Quite a good scene, isn't it? One man crazy... Three very sane spectators. That's right. And two fur kids. That's uh, part of the same ones right behind me. And to my left is Kimmy. You don't know how hard it is being a woman looking the way I do. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Uh, That's so true. Welcome to this Thursday episode. Hello, Kimmy. Hello. It's a throwback Thursday. Yay. Yay. And you know what that means? Um, it's almost Friday. (laughs) Well, yes, it does. It means that, but also it means we will be going back in time and focusing on something here with this episode of the Riley and Kimmy show. Mm -hmm. I bet you're looking forward to that. Yep. 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 What's it going to be? Well, I can't reveal that yet. That's coming up. We'll reveal what it is in just a little bit on this throwback Thursday. By the way, if you like what you hear, make sure you follow us on Facebook. You can find links to our social media Right on our website at RileyAndKimmy.com. And we'll be adding some videos over the next few days. you want to check those out as the Riley and Kimmy shows out and about. you want to check out those, uh, those new videos. And we'll be adding those first right to our Facebook page. And be sure to share our Facebook page with your friends. Tell them, uh, tell them to, to like the Riley and Kimmy show. Help us grow. Right, Kimmy? Mm-hmm. Find all those social media links, including past episodes. Matter of fact, all the episodes of the Riley and Kimmy Show, video interviews, and nerd links, nerd news, right on our website. And our web address is what, Kimmy? RileyandKimmy.com. It is a Thursday, and Kimmy, I have a question for you. Would you like to play nerd and pop culture geek trivia? Absolutely. Being a throwback Thursday, it is an April 13th. We'll be asking Kimmy some questions from the trivia timeline. Timeline has been adjusted, Kimmy. It's not all running linear. It's not all chronological. It's all over the place. Feel free to shout out answers to Kimmy. We believe in time travel answers. So yell at whatever computing device you're listening to the Riley and Kimmy show on. Because we are mobile. We are global. You can take us anywhere and listen on planet Earth. That's true, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just anywhere. And thank you to all those brand new listeners, by the way, that check into the Riley and Kimmy show. We deeply appreciate that. And you can do that right now if you'd like to. Social media wise, those links are available right on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Are you ready for your very first question, Kimmy? Uh, I think so. 
All right, Kimmy, moving over to, uh, well, it's actually a favorite category of yours. It is the animal category of trivia. (coughs) Yes, Kimmy, we have a question about elephants. Okay. Uh, Are you ready for your elephant question? Mm -hmm. Do you think you know a lot about elephants? Well, I don't know. We'll Well, find out. Well, we have a question for you about elephants. Was on this date, the first known elephant to arrive in the United States came from India. The question we have for you within 50 years. Tell us when the first elephant arrived in the United States. 1750. How many years did I give you as a buffer, Kimmy? 50. I think I did. And you guessed 1750, which is interesting because it was not the United States in 1750. But, but, Kimmy got it right. Yes, the answer is 1796 is when the first known elephant arrived in the United States from India. Now, how did you know that? How did you know it was the 18th century? I would have thought you would have guessed maybe, I don't know, late 19th century. Hmm. Somebody shout that one out to you? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, whoever did that, way to go. Next question for you, Kimmy. Moving over to another category you like, and that is sports. The first strike in history of Major League Baseball ended on this date. Players had walked off the field 13 days earlier. Did this happen in the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, or 1980s? 1970s? Very good. Want to go for the year? Within two or not? 76? It was 1972, but you got it because you got the decade. That's all we asked. It was 1972 that 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 happened. It was on this date, 1860. The first mail was delivered via Pony Express when a westbound rider arrived in Sacramento, California from... St. Joseph, Missouri. That had to be a haul. Hmm. Yeah. It was on this date in 1870. The Metropolitan Museum of Art was founded in New York City. 1933, the first flight over Mount Everest was completed by Lord Clydesdale. It was not a horse. It was an actual person. Lord Clydesdale flew a plane over Mount Everest. That was in 1933. It was on this date 10 years later. 1943... This president dedicated the Jefferson Memorial. Who is the president? In the United States. 19. For those who are not paying attention to the Riley and Kimmy show. <laughs> it's 10 years after that flight over Mount Everest. It was 1943. Yes. Um, FDR. We didn't ask for initials. Goodness sake. Yes, we'll accept that, though. Yes, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was president in 1943, and he did the dedication. So on this day, 1954, Hank Aaron debuted. Do you have any idea what team he debuted on? Um, Hank Aaron. Yes. Cincinnati Reds? No, Milwaukee mm-hmm. Braves is oh, okay. the team he debuted on. That was in 1954. It was 1960. The first navigational satellite was launched into Earth's orbit. It was a start for Kimmy to be able to find things. You know, uh, you need that satellite. Ah. 
Yeah, even though that was way back in 1960, and no, she was not on planet Earth. Neither one of us was, right? That's right. <laughs> Let's just make that clear. Now, Kimmy, it was on this date, 1963, this baseball player got his first hit in the major leagues. The question for you is, what team was he on? The year is 1963. The player is Pete Rose. Cincinnati Reds. Do you think he was on the Cincinnati Reds all the way back then? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. You're exactly right. So on this date, 1964, this actor became the first black to win an Oscar for Best Actor. It was for his role in the movie Lilies of the Field. Who is the actor? The year is 1964. Sidney Poitier. That's correct. It was on this date, Kimmy, something happened in space. We've got one more item for you when you get a chance. We'd like it to uh, stir up your cryo tank. In addition, I have a shaft and trunnion. Okay. Or look at the comment, Bennett, if you need it. Stand by. Okay, here. Uh, we've had a problem here. Can say again, please. Oh, uh, here's the way that a problem. An oxygen tank exploded on Apollo 13, preventing a planned moon landing. Give me the year, Kimmy, within one that that happened. 1972. It was 1970 that that happened. It was on this date. The $2 bill is reintroduced into the United States currency. What is the year within two? You know, $2 bill, two years. <laughs> uh, yeah, tell us the year that the $2 bill comes back. 1979. It was 1976 that the $2 bill came back. Have you ever held any of those in your hands? Mm -hmm. Did you mistakenly... Use them as ones. Mm -mm. All right. You were able to tell the difference instantly. Mm -hmm. I wonder. I wonder if it played problems with people making change back then mm. for a while. Do you see those at all anymore? Mm -mm. It was on this date in 1979. The world's longest doubles ping pong match ended. Question for you, Kimmy, is how many hours did the world's longest doubles ping pong match last? Within ten hours. Tell me. Um, 12? The longest doubles ping pong match ended after 101 hours. What? Yeah. Now, have you ever played ping pong table tennis? Mm-hmm. But you've never played with me table mm -hmm. tennis. Why is that? Yes, I have. That's why I don't anymore. You never played me in table tennis. Mm-hmm. We played table tennis. Mm -hmm. Where did this happen? Long time ago. You don't remember where this... Now, how do you know I'm the one you played table tennis with? I remember playing with you, and that's why I've never played with you again. That is not true. I have never played a game of table tennis with you at all. Mm -hmm. No. 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 I know who the last person I played table tennis with, and it was not you. Mm. It was a relative. We used to play for literally hours. Okay. We'd start at... Example, like 6 o'clock at night on a Saturday night, and we would play to 7 o'clock in the morning, Sunday morning. Wow. Non-stop ping pong. Wild times. Listening to a shortwave radio. That was our fun mm -hmm. on a Saturday night. I mean, hours of it. I and, Well, you got to remember, we were out in the middle of nowhere and country and couldn't go anywhere. It was cold. Hmm. In the dead of winter, he played ping pong. Moving to something else that happened on this date in history, 1980 Pulitzer Prize is awarded to Norman Mailer. Do you know what he won it for? Are you familiar with Norman Mailer? He's an author. Yes. Can you tell me what he won the Pulitzer Prize for in 1980? 
No. Executioner's Song. It was on this 1981 Washington Post reporter Janet Cook received a Pulitzer Prize. That was for her feature about an eight-year-old heroin addict named Jimmy. Now, Cook relinquished the prize two days later after admitting that she had fabricated the story. Hmm. Now, that would then make its way into other things like dramas on TV. You know, they would incorporate that into some storylines and things mm-hmm. like that. That was in 1981. So on this date, 1982, David Crosby. Tell me what his profession or what he's known for. Singer. That's right. Birds, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, Crosby, Stills, Nash, was arrested for the second time in three weeks for drugs in Dallas. So on this date, this single hits number one on the U.S. charts. Kimmy, give me the year within one and tell me the title of the song. There comes a time when we heed a certain call. When the world must come together as one There are people dying Oh, when it's time to lend a hand All right, Kimmy, identify the song. It was number one on this date on U.S. charts. We Are the World. That is correct. Now, tell me the year within one year. Um, 84? You get it. It was 1985. It was 1985, the Grand Ole Opry debuts on television. It was on this date, something happened in 1994. Billy Joel announces he is separating from whom? Christy Brinkley. Yes, his uptown girl. That was 1994. It was on this date in 1997, this person became the youngest person to win the Masters Tournament at the age of 21. He also set a record when he finished at 18 under par. Who is he? Tiger Woods? Yes. 1998, the world's first cloned sheep. Can you tell me its name? It was famous. Dolly? Yes. Dolly, the world's first cloned sheep, gave natural birth to a healthy baby lamb. It was on this date, 1999. This person was sentenced, he was a doctor, he was sentenced in Pontiac, Michigan to 10 to 25 years in prison. This is for second degree murder. An assisted suicide he was part of was videotaped and shown on 60 Minutes in 1998. Who is the person who went to prison? Jack Kevorkian. That's correct. It was 1999. Yoko Ono sued Frederick Seaman over personal effects of the late John Lennon. Now, Seaman, a former assistant to John Lennon, was accused of an elaborate scheme to exploit Lennon's death by stealing priceless personal and sentimental items. That happened in 1999. 2000, Richard Gordon was charged with trying to extort $250,000 from Louis Anderson. This was in exchange for not telling the tabloid media about Anderson's once asking him for sex. Gordon was held without bail pending a court hearing. That was in 2000. It was 2007. Google announced that it had acquired the advertising service company DoubleClick for $3.1 billion. Moving over to notable and celebrity birthdays. Kimmy, tell me who this actor is. See if you can identify him by voice from this TV show he starred in from... 1975 to 1979. If you need more clues, I will give them to you, okay? Mm -hmm. Here's your audio clue. Uh, Take a letter, Diana. 
Take a letter to, um... Uh, say, dear Miss, um... You're at a loss for words, sir? <sighs> yes. For the first time in my life. You see, I wanted to tell someone... something, and... And you couldn't say it? Well, I'm afraid I don't know how. Just say it. You mean straight out? Whatever the language, be honest. You're very perceptive, Diana. I'm a woman. Where I was brought up, women were taught to respect honesty. Now, I like that. You know, we're going to get along just fine. Yeah, that's basically... I'm sure we will. When they first met there, Kimmy, can you identify who he is? He was a former model, then became comedian, actor then tried to do something a little more serious, and that was the role he tried to be a little bit more serious and more of an action star. Who is he? Lyle Wagner. That's right. It's Lyle Wagner, and the TV show I'm sure you can identify from 1975 to 1979. Wonder Woman. That's right. He played Steve Trevor. Chris Pine's playing that role now in the upcoming film. What TV show was he on from 1967 to 1974? Carol Burnett Show. That's right. He was the announcer, and then he did acting, you know, goofy stuff, skits and that. Who replaced him as the regular on the Carol Burnett show when he decided he was going to be an action star? Somebody who only appeared really in guest roles before, then he took it over as a permanent. Mm, I don't know. Tim Conway. Not until then? Yeah, Tim Conway made appearances, oh, but he, oh, oh. he took over okay. as a regular okay. for that. He took over for Lyle Wagner. A little side note of trivia. Lyle Wagner... Did we, well, first of all, did we ask how old he was? How old is Lyle Wagner today within five? 74. He is 82 today. Little side note of trivia. He was a finalist for the title role in the TV show, the 1960s Batman series, losing to Adam West. Now, if you're saying Adam West was not the right choice, go to our nerd news section right now at RileyandKimmy.com. We have the screen tests. Of both of them. Mm. The same scenes with the person who's going to play Robin and Burt Ward as Robin acting. They're both acting, you know, with their their counterpoints hmm. on, on the show. Same scenes. Okay. And I believe if you watch that, you will come to the same conclusion I did. They chose wisely. All right. Adam West was perfect for this. The delivery, the lines, and Burt Ward was fantastic too. Hmm. So it's it's really something to check out. You can find that right on our website. What's our web address, Kimmy? RileyandKimmy.com. Next person on the birthday list, an actor, Kimmy. Tell me who it is, but before we get to that, identify well at least one of the two shows he is really known for on television. Here is your first audio clue, a TV show that he was known for. It's the second show that he was known for. Here is your audio clue. Identify the TV show, The Moment I mean, the moment you know what it is. Tell us what it is. Kimmy, this is a cop show, a police drama. Cutting edge in its time. 
Heroes and Icon run it very late at night, every night. Um. They love the hand cam. They were ones that really first used it heavily. Hmm. Nope. They'd like to do this a lot. I can't think of the name of it. You cannot tell me the name of that I wasn't team. A, I wasn't a big fan. Oh, boy. Okay. He was on that show, which we will not identify yet till Kimmy gets a guess on the second show, or actually the very first show that he was known for. Okay? Mm-hmm. Here is the first show he was known for. Tell me who the actor is. Put the two together if you can. Cop show, detective show, right? Drama type thing. And then this show. Here we are, face to face, a couple of silver spoons. Hoping to find we're two of a kind. Make it a go, make it grow together. Kimmy, can you identify that TV show? Silver Spoons? Yes. Did you watch Silver Spoons when it was on the air? No. Uh, well, you, how did you know that that was Silver Spoons? I wonder, I wonder what your clue was. You're correct. Now, Silver Spoons, this person was part of that show, and then they became years later part of a crime drama. Can you tell me who the actor who's having a birthday today is? Ricky Schroeder. That's right. Ricky Schroeder having a birthday today. He was on NYPD Blue. That's the theme Kimmy could not identify. And he was also on the miniseries Lonesome Dove. And he made his acting debut in a film. Can you tell me what it was in 1979? Nope. The Champ. Tell me how old Ricky Schroeder is today within two years. 48. Somebody yelled that to you. I know they did. He's 47 today. Hmm. Congratulations there. Moving over to a classic television show this person was part of. Tell me the name of the TV show, Kimmy. She better know this already. All right. right. Tell me the name of the TV show, Kimmy. Leave It to Beaver. Yes, Leave It to Beaver. This person was part of, matter of fact, he was part of the first run of Leave It to Beaver in 1957 and 1963. And then he was, you know, the, the reboot of Beaver. He was part of that as well. He's the actor who played Beaver's older brother. Can you tell me the name of the character and the name of the actor? Wally Cleaver. That's right, Wally Cleaver, played by whom? Um, Tony Dow. That's right, Tony Dow, having a birthday today. How old is he within five years? 70. 72, so you get that, Kimmy. Next question, political question. Today marks the birthday of the third United States president. Born on this date, died July 4th, 1826. Born 1743. Who is it? Thomas Jefferson. Are you confident with that? Mm-hmm. Are you certain? Mm-hmm. You are right, Kimmy. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Moving over to something else. 
in the world of trivia or on the world of trivia or part of the world of trivia. It was on this date. Frank W. Woolworth was born 1852, died 1919 at the age of 66. He was a merchant and created the Five and Dime Store. The Dime Store. You don't even hear that anymore, do you? Mm-mm. Dime Store. Well, he was the one who created it. It was called F.W. Woolworth Company. He was also the first to use self-service display cases. This way, customers could examine what they wanted to buy without the help of a sales clerk. Okay. Did they have a Woolworths in your mm-hmm. hometown? Mm-hmm. Did you go to the Woolworths? Mm-hmm. I used to like to go to the Woolworths on occasion when we went to the big city because they would have some of those treasury edition comic books there. Mm. Yeah, mm. they had the wooden floors and it smelled like Ooh. like uh, mothballs. So also, it was in an old part of town in the uh, downtown, downtown district. Mm-hmm. Mine was out of the mall. Mm. Yeah. They probably had it in downtown at one time, but it, by the time I... It, the mall was brand new. I was real little. That's when they went to Woolworths. I think they even had like a restaurant in there too. If I remember right. Not 100% positive. Moving back to trivia, Butch Cassidy was born on this date. 1866 may have died in 1908 at the age of 42 in southern Bolivia. Do you know what he is known for? Who? Oh, boy. For short, He's a criminal. For short attention span theater here. Y- yes, Kimmy, I will accept that. Right? Criminal, train robber. Yeah. One of the biggest train robbers of all time, bank robber, leader of the Wild Bunch gang. Yeah. Now, he may have died in 1908, or he may not have died. Some believe Butch Cassidy lived out his years in the northwest of the United States, that he came back in the United States, was not killed in 1908, and he actually died in 1937. His family had agreed not to disclose his final resting place since, quote, they had chased him all his life, and now he's going to rest in peace, unquote. In 1969, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is made into a film and is released. Butch Cassidy is played by whom, Kimmy? Sundance is played by Robert Redford. Who plays Butch Cassidy in that classic 1969 film? Paul Newman. Ah, are you saying that with confidence? Or is somebody shouting that into your ear? I think it was Paul Newman. You are right. Have you ever seen that movie? Um... Pieces of it, maybe. Okay, moving over to something else happening on this date in history. Birthday, Alfred Butts was born on this date, Kimmy. Okay. You know who Alfred Butts is? Uh, nope. Oh, Alfred Butts is important to you. Yes, Alfred Butts, born 1899, died 1993 at the age of 93. He's an architect, but he's known for something beyond that for you, something that has reached many Americans and people in the world. He is famous for inventing this board game. It's winter's by the fire, summer's by the sea. It's holidays and family. Yeah, it's Scrabble. America's good time game. It's Coco and its kids, old stories and friends. It's rainy weekends you hope will never end. It's Scrabble. America's good time game. Yeah, it's Scrabble. America's Good Time Game. Yes, it is America's Good Time Game. One of Kimmy's favorite games, right? Mm-hmm. And by the way, Scrabble's original name, any clue what it is? Mm-mm. Its original name was called Lexico. That's what he originally called it was Lexico. Then he changed it to Crisscross Words. And then eventually sold the game to a game lover who renamed it Scrabble, a word meaning to grope frantically. That's what the word means. It's from Dutch. That's hmm. uh, 
from the Dutch language. Yeah, that's that's catchier. Yeah. Scrobben, I believe is how you pronounce the the original Dutch thing. To scrape or scratch. Question for you. What year did Scrabble get invented? Give me the decade. Was it the 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, or 1950s? 1950s? It was 1938 when Scrabble was created by Mr. Butts. Okay. And by the way, 150 million Scrabble sets have been sold worldwide, and between 1 and 2 million sets are sold each year in North America alone. Kimmy, you have not played Scrabble with me in a long time. I know. Yeah, shame on you. I think you need to play me again. Okay. This actor, born on this date, Howard Keel, 1919, died 2004 at the age of 85, an American actor and singer. He was really big back in like the 30s and 40s, but you actually know him, Kimmy, on the show Dallas. Now, he's best known as Miss Ellie's next husband. Yeah, when uh, Mr. Ewing died, he uh, took over his dad, the stepfather to Jr. and everybody else. He played Clayton Farlow on the show. From 1981 to 1991, he was like a nemesis to Jock. Hmm. You, you watch that show. Mm-hmm. I know you know who it is. Next person born, 1923. Kimmy, an actor, also voice talent. Identify who he is. Here's some cartoon work of his. Come on, Chumley. I've got to spread some important news around the zoo. You, the Gopher Brothers, get those holes filled up. The mayor is coming next week, and Stanley wants everything perfect. Ridiculous the way I have to run around spreading the news. It's dangerous. Just look over there. The Beaver Brothers cutting down another tree. Can you identify who that actor and voice talent was? Don Adams. That's right. Passed away 2005 at the age of 82. And he was part of what spy spoof comedy, Kimmy? Get Smart. That's right. From 1965 to 1970 and also 1995 they they revisited. Now, he provided the voice for... What character there? Tennessee Tuxedo. Oh, you like Tennessee Tuxedo, right? Mm-hmm. And he also did... Well, by the way, he did... Tennessee. I like Chumley. Chumley. You, you like Chumley better? Yeah, I like I, Chumley. I like the 3D BB. You know, the three-dimensional blackboard. Now, he did that from 1963 to 1966, and then from 1983 to 85, he did another cartoon. Do you know what it was, by chance? Mm-mm. It was Inspector Gadget. I'm sorry, Penny. You and Brain will have to entertain each other this weekend. Chief Quimby wants me to be ready for action 24 hours a day. I have to make sure the gadget mobile is in tip-top shape. He wouldn't tell me exactly, Penny, but he did mention Professor Von Slickstein. That's right. He's the father of modern bionics and a very dear friend. Don Adams. Mm-hmm. Inspector Gadget. You probably never saw it. No. Episode. Okay. No. Hey, you're not a big cartoon freak. That's okay. I thought maybe some relatives, young relatives, had you watch that at one time or something. Moving over to this actor, born on this date, Paul Sorvino. Kimmy, he starred in uh, Dick Tracy in 1990 as Lips Menless. He was in Goodfellows in 1990, Law and Order, the TV series, 91 to 92. The Rocketeer, he played a bad guy in 1991. He was Eddie Valentine. I love him in that. Star Trek The Next Generation, he was in an episode called Homeward, and let's see, he was in the movie Nixon. He played Henry Kissinger in 1995. He was recently, like maybe last year at this time, at Spooky Empire in Orlando, Florida. Can you tell me how old Paul Sorvino is today? Within five. 69. 
Uh, Carrie, nope, yeah, miss that a little bit. He is 78 today. Mm. Next person, American actor and voice actor. He is best known for his roles as Clay Morrow in the television series Sons of Anarchy, which I know you've never seen, but you know him for playing Vincent in the TV series Beauty and the Beast. And as the comic book character Hellboy in both the 2004 Hellboy and its sequel 2008 Hellboy 2, who is he? Ron Perlman. Yeah, and I love him in an episode of The Tick where he plays a superhero uh, in The Tick. He's really cool with Patrick Warburton. The two hmm. of them talking together hmm. as superheroes. It's really cool. How old is Ron Perlman today within five years? Um, 60. He is 67 today and still wants to do a Hellboy 3. Wow. Next person, American composer and conductor, best known for film scores. Gimme. Did a lot of them, like For Your Eyes Only. Also did Dynasty. And the movie The Right Stuff, which earned him an Academy Award for Best Original Score. He has also served as musical director at the Academy Awards a record 19 times. Tell me who he is with this movie score, just a few, few moments of it, that actually became a top 40 hit. Here is your audio clue. You can't tell me who had this as a hit. Do you know the movie? Rocky. Yeah, he scored Rocky. And that is Bill Conti, who is having a birthday today. He is 75. Next person, musician, singer, having a birthday. Tell me who it is. See if you can identify him with his 1971 hit. It was number one on the Pop 100. Nineteen seventy one, let's stay together. Can you tell me who performed that? I can't. Kimmy, he had a hit in nineteen eighty eight. I will not give you a sample of it because this other person actually, in my opinion, is very powerful. They are the 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 standout in the mix. But it was a hit. It was put a little love in your heart with Annie Lennox. Nineteen eighty eight was part of the Scrooge soundtrack. Can you tell me who he is? No. It's Al Green having a birthday today. He is seventy one. Next person having a birthday. A singer, see if you can identify who he is with this hit. It was a top 10 hit from 1984. Shout that answer out to Kimmy. That was played at so many wedding receptions, Kimmy. I guess you didn't attend that many. And, you know, dances and things like that. That played a lot also in clubs, too, when you did slow things down. You can't tell me who that was with those smooth sounds. Mm -mm. That was Peebo Bryson having a birthday today. He is 66. And that song, If Ever You're In My Arms Again, was from 1984. It was number 10 on Billboard's Hot 100. Next person is, well... They've done a lot of work on TV, just not really something that stands out, meaning name recognition. They were part of the long-running CBS soap opera Guiding Light, and they were also part of the soap opera One Life to Live. They did that after leaving Guiding Light, but but this person was known for another thing, a hot TV show. Can you tell me the name of the TV show this person's really known for? Miami Vice. 
Okay, see if you identify who this person is. Well, I will tell you the actress's name. You tell me the character she played. Here's your audio clue, too, by the way, in case you need it. It's Sandra Santiago. Nah, nah. Everybody else brags about how all the free things they get. I don't get anything. I, you know, you know, like um, Olivia and uh, Michael, they buy a coach ticket and they get to the airport and they're upgraded immediately because they're recognized. Ooh, Miami Vice, ooh, ooh. I go up. They don't care who I am. They don't know who I am. They don't bump me at all. I decided I would uh, buy first-class tickets. And uh, so I'm riding on first-class now, and I have this dog. So we travel together. But I take him this little bag. I have this, Louis, this uh, little Louis Vuitton bag. And uh, I took him on... Once, I took him on this flight. And we're sitting there, and he's very nervous, and he's yapping and yapping. But I've given him tranquilizers, so I know that he's going to calm down. <laughs> you know, he doesn't like flying. And uh, so Captain Cunningham is the captain of the, the plane. He comes out, and he says, I'm sorry, ma'am. He doesn't know who I am. He says, I'm sorry, ma'am. Uh, I refuse to take this. Uh, I refuse to start the plane unless this dog is out of the plane. Unless... And I go, I I'm sorry. Excuse me? And he says, I, I cannot travel. I cannot take responsibility of the entire first-class cabin to be f traveling with this yapping dog. And I go, well, he'll be fine. You, well, he didn't want to wait. Well, he basically threw me off with the dog. So I said, well, we're going fine. And I took him and I says, what's your name? And I, I wrote a little letter. Kimmy, that's Sandra Santiago having a birthday today. She was on Miami Vice. Really, the first few seasons, she was kind of a love interest to Sonny Crockett. She did have a love little fling with Liam Neeson's character in one of the episodes. He was a bad guy. She had to pull a gun on him. Remember? Mm. He was a real bad guy. Mm. Can you tell me her first name, her character's first name on that show? Oh, I can't. You cannot tell me, huh? Mm -mm. It's Gina. Remember, Gina. she played Gina. Now, how old is the actress who played Gina? Um, Within five. 54? She is 60 today. Oh. I think you did a great job. Thank you. And we're going to honor something from trivia today. We're going to go back in time to the golden age of radio. Radio And that's the Riley and Kimmy show. Anytime we go back in time to the Golden Age of Radio, we take that opportunity. We're doing that right now in honor of President Thomas Jefferson's birthday. We have a couple of radio productions that revolve around celebrating his birthday, but it was many years ago that they did these. First one stars actor Tyrone Power, and this is fantastic to hear. He plays the young Thomas Jefferson. It's from 1942, and it's followed by Walter Houston starring in A Mask for Jefferson. Both fantastic radio productions, uninterrupted, here on the Riley and Kimmy Show. Kicking things off with Tyrone Power from 1942, this is young Thomas Jefferson on the Riley and Kimmy Show. July 4th, 1776. 
When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth... Those are the opening words of the Declaration of Independence. Words which fixed a people's mind on liberty and independence. They were written by Thomas Jefferson 160 years ago in a quiet little room in Philadelphia. No man was at his shoulder to whisper suggestions. No ancient tomes were dog-eared for paraphrasing. The thoughts were his and his alone. What he wrote was the experience of his own eyes and ears, injustices he'd encountered, human miseries he'd seen, recollection of ideals he had dreamed. It is of these simple and profound thoughts that this cavalcade play is about. A play called Young Tom Jefferson, in which Tyrone Power is the star. You've been most kind and helpful to me, gentlemen. On the contrary, I should think, Mr. Jefferson. Mr. Adams and I have placed the whole burden on your shoulders. I'm all too much aware of the responsibility, Dr. Franklin. I trust you will bear with me. I... I work slowly. Well, if mankind has waited 2,000 years for what we are about to say, they doubtless can afford to wait another week or two. And yet you are where our need is pressing, unless this declaration can unite the states behind that, us. Mr. Adams, is the thought that weighs most heavily upon me. If there's anything you need of us. Oh, thank you. Well, then, Mr. Jefferson, it appears the matter now is in your hands. Oh, by the way, had you thought what to call this document? Why, oh, I, I thought merely to call it by the simplest name... Uh, a declaration of independence. Oh, excellent. Simple and direct. <clears throat> well, then, good night, Mr. Jefferson. Good night, sir. Good night, gentlemen. Good night. Slowly, young Thomas Jefferson walks over to the little desk before the fire. Slowly sits down before the first blank piece of paper. Slowly takes the goose quill pen between his fingers. The day has come. The little room is silent, save for the faint whispering of the fire. Slowly the pen moves. On the blank paper, the first momentous words appear. When, in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth Whence come these words? Out of what earliest dreams and questioning, out of what hopes and memories, what wisdom or beauty of the past? Out of what well-remembered thoughts and phrases exchanged in other days with some nameless stranger or beloved friend? A lifetime is in these words, a life of many printed pages of growth and pondering, of talking and listening. Slowly from the dark labyrinth of the memory mind come thoughts first fixed in years long gone by. Thoughts to be stated now on the paper before him. It was old Jed who said it. What he would do if he were free. Work, he said. Work and build a home. Raise a family. <laughs> Strange to remember the song they were singing. Jed sitting in his cabin door. No man should be born to rank or power. All men in the eyes of their creator are as one. 
do you call that song, Jed? Is that my song? Nothing special. Just a song about Moses. Is that your favorite song, Jed? Well, we like it all right, Mustang. Why do you like it so much? Why? Why, because it goes good. Is it because Moses led the people out of slavery? That might be one reason. What would you do if you were free? Work. Same as I'm working now. What else? Oh, maybe I'd go into the back country, get me a little farm. Raise me a family of my own. Is that what you think there is to being free? That's the most of it, I reckon. I think there's more to it than that, Jed. That's hard work, too, but I wouldn't want to be a slave. There is more than that, Moss Tom. I don't know whether I can exactly explain it to you. Being as you've never been a slave, and I've never been free... But I reckon it's something about the way you feel inside yourself. Something in the way you walk, work, the way you laugh. Maybe it don't seem like such a big thing if you got it. But I reckon it's a mighty big thing if you ain't got it. You're right, Jed. It's a big thing to have and not to have. self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, some of the words are instituted among men. There were those who said it could not be. And later, those who fought to make it so. The pen moves on and other words appear. Words to bring men from their farms and shops, from ships and country houses. Men willing to die for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. more readily now as thought provokes thought and memory stirs memory. The years of reading, of seeing, of thinking, the years of preparation of proving themselves. It's a long time since Tom Jefferson resolved that he would master words and not be their slave. But as he writes, fleeting memories passed swiftly through his mind. Memories of an upstairs chamber of the plantation house at Shadwell, where a gaunt, giant figure of a man lies quietly in a four-poster bed. Peter Jefferson, his father, ill and slowly dying. The next speech, where it says, I have lived long enough. Read that, Tom. I have lived long enough. My way of life has fallen into the sear, the yellow leaf. And that which should accompany old age as honor, love, obedience, troops of friends, I must not look to have. But in their stead, curses. Not loud, but deep. Mouth honor. Breath, which the poor heart would fain deny and dare not. Yes, that's it. My, what a power over words he had, that Shakespeare. A pity, though, to put such fine words in the mouth of such a tyrant as Macbeth. That's the man's genius, Tom. That's one reason Macbeth became a king. He became a king because he murdered all who stood in his path. 
Does every murderer become a king? Ah, no, Tom. It's not as easy as that. Macbeth had eloquence to make men follow him in spite of his crimes. There have been others like him. There'll be more to follow. Then it behooves all honest men to be more eloquent than the tyrants. True, Tom, if they can. Tom, what you've just said puts me in mind of something I've meant to speak of for some time. What, Father? There's one thing I want you to promise me. Yes, Father. What is it? It's what we were speaking of just now. The power of words. I've always been a strong man. I've made my way with brawn and sweat. But often I've thought how much better I could have served my family and my country if I had had more learning. I want you to be what I could not. You've been everything to us that anyone could ask. Go on with your schooling, Tom, no matter what. Read. Read everything you can. By reading words, you learn to use them. To me, they've always been a tyrant. Let you be their master. This country one day will have need of men who know the power of words. Promise me you'll do this, Tom. I promise, Father. Now read the next speech. You know the one? Yes, Father. Canst thou not minister to a mind diseased? Pluck from the memory a rooted sorrow. Raise out the written troubles of the brain. Out of the shadows of the past, the memory of an anxious father. And other memories crowding back, the events and turmoil of the hastening years. Of young George Washington helping to win for England all the frontier country from the Appalachians to the Mississippi. The Stamp Act passed by Parliament and nine colonies gathered in convention to protest. Memories of himself training to be a lawyer, of a corridor outside the courtroom in Richmond of a gangling farmer from the back country talking to him. And what happened then? Well, Mr. Jefferson, when this tax collector came, I told him I could give him nothing, as I had nothing. And what did he say? Say, he just laughed at me. He went out to the shed. I followed him. He found the grain I had there, only enough to get us through the winter at the very most. He said he knew I was lying, and he was going to take the grain. Then's when I went back to the house and I got my rifle. He had no right to take your grain. That's how I figured. Did you threaten him? Well, sir, I was pretty mad. I was born in this country. The crown gave me no help. I cleared that land with my own hands. And I don't aim to be starved out of it by any thieving tax collector. That's what I told him. I was holding my rifle when I said it. Mm, it was unwise, perhaps, but you were provoked. And you were within your rights in the protection of your property. What do you reckon they'll do to me? Oh, the worst, I think, is to hold you in debt until such time as you can pay. But if I know the temper of juries nowadays, you'll get off scot-free. Oh, the court is sitting. We'd best go in. Clerk will call the first case. Crown versus John Randall on the complaint of His Majesty's officer of excise, William Sharp. Is the defendant represented by counsel? I am representing the defendant. May it please your lordship. How do you plead for your client? Not guilty, your lordship. And I respectfully move for a jury trial for my client at an early session. Motion denied. This is no case for a jury, Mr. Jefferson. Your lordship, every subject has a right to a trial by jury. Not in these times. 
But your lordship, even if my client were a common thief... Mr. Uh... Jefferson, I'm charging your client with sedition. Sedition? His utterances to an officer of the Crown were of a most seditious nature. Such as might well cause him to be deported. I sentence him to one year in prison. Next case. Uh, your lordship. Well? Your lordship, I... I do not intend to let this man go to prison. I shall put up bond for his appearance and carry his case to Parliament if necessary. But one thing I must tell your lordship. There is no sedition in these colonies. There is no disloyalty to the Crown or to its officers. Yet. But if it comes, and come it surely will if such injustices persist, you, your lordship, and those like you, will have brought it on yourselves as the natural and inexorable fruits of your own tyranny. The Virginia House of Burgesses. There in 1769 at a front bench sits young Tom Jefferson, just 26 years old. His Excellency, the Governor. Gentlemen, I have before me the document of your complaint directed at His Majesty the King and presumably at myself as his appointed governor of this colony. These complaints ostensibly concern themselves with certain alleged injustices in the matter of taxation. I find them far more serious than that. To my mind, what you have written falls little short of treason. Therefore, in accordance with the power vested in me, I hereby declare this assembly dissolved. I declare this assembly dissolved. Memories of large and small injustices and the first warnings of the conflict. Now written down, now recorded for all posterity. Swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. Quartering large bodies of armed troops among us. Depriving us of the benefits of trial by jury. Armies to complete the works of death and tyranny. listening to Young Tom Jefferson, starring Tyrone Power on the Cavalcade of America. As our play continues, a young couple is playing a duet in the spacious living room of a plantation home. The boy is Tom Jefferson. Seated at the harpsichord is the daughter of the house, Miss Martha Wales. Oh, that was nice, wasn't it? You play beautifully, Miss Martha. Do I? Why, then I must say at least as much for you. But I really mean it. Well, so did I, Miss Martha. Oh, sometimes I wish I were a man. Why so? Because the times are so exciting. And you women are so left out of it. What can a woman do but learn to dance and keep a household and play the spinet? And you men are in the thick of every battle, fighting with all your strength for things that, well, that women sometimes scarcely understand or care about. Well, perhaps it's by women's inspiration that men do these things. Is it? Is it the inspiration of a woman that has given you your reputation as a radical, Mr. Jefferson? 
A radical? Oh, I hear reports more frequently than you would think. And far from good ones from some of our English friends. You put yourself in some danger, Mr. Jefferson. Does that trouble you? I... I am troubled for the safety of any of my friends. Oh, I would not trouble you for all the world, Miss Martha. But if I loved a woman and, and hoped to marry her, I would want to make a home for her and for our children in a free land. And... Yes? And if the land we lived in were not free, but overrun with tyranny, then... then for this woman whom I loved and for the country that I love, I would have no other course but to pledge my life, my fortune, and my sacred honor in the cause of freedom. Yes. And if this woman whom I loved were you... Were me? Yes, Martha. What would you say then? I would say yes. this declaration he has written. We mutually pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. The man at the desk writes on into the night. Philadelphia's asleep, and except for the regular footsteps of the watch, there is no sound. But in the mind of Tom Jefferson, dark, sharp, and violent memories... Memories of wrongs to be no longer tolerated. He is at this time transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny. We tried to prevent it. We tried petitions. Petitions answered with more abuse. Firing on the crowd in Boston. Taxing without consent. It couldn't have been stopped. Inevitable. Inevitable. And they cried, peace. There were those who thought they could have peace. The memories grow shorter now. Thoughts span only the weeks and months, the year at most. In his mind, he moves back through time to March of the year before, to the Provincial Convention of Virginia, called into extraordinary session. He remembers talking with a tall, gaunt man whose gestures are explosive whose eyes are quick and piercing. I tell you, Tom, I cannot for the life of me understand the mettle of these delegates of ours. Half the country up in arms, they prattle on like so many old women. If anyone can rouse them, you can. I'll rouse them. I'll rouse them if they're men and can be roused. Order! Order, please! When will you speak? Now. The provincial convention is now in session. Mr. President! The chair recognizes the gentleman. Mr. President, gentlemen, this is no time for ceremony. The question before the House is one of awful moment to this country. For my own part, I consider it as nothing less than a question of freedom or slavery. Young Tom Jefferson leans forward in his seat, his eyes fixed on the speaker. The House sits spellbound. They've heard this man many times before, but never have they heard him as he is today. Are they those who sense the historic import of this hour? Perhaps. For not only young Tom Jefferson, but men long generations after will remember what is spoken here today. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is it the gentlemen wish? What would you have? 
Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Memories of but a few short months ago, the eloquence of Patrick Henry, and perhaps the words of a dying boy. There had been battles now. Lexington and Concord, Ticonderoga, Bunker Hill. Men had been wounded. Men had been killed. All these in a single battle? Ambushed by Indians. These are only the men from Philadelphia. Mr. Jefferson. Yes? You must lie quietly, my boy. But there's something I want to say to Mr. Jefferson. Is there something you want me to do about your family, or...? Well, not exactly, but we haven't done too well so far, have we? You've done all that mortal men could do. Well, maybe, but when we're out there in the woods, some of the men got talking. You know how soldiers talk, they, they don't mean half of it. I know. It, it isn't that they have any doubts. They, they know that when it's over, we're going to be free. Yes, we shall. I knew that. That's what I told them. But, but you see, nobody's ever come right out and said so. The, the leaders, I mean. Is that what the soldiers want? A proclamation telling what we're fighting for? Yes, sir. When you rejoin your company, you tell the men there will be such a proclamation very soon. I'll tell them. But, but you're sure? Very sure. And, and you won't forget? No. I won't forget. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind... The work is done. The day has come. Young Thomas Jefferson has spoken for the ages. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just power from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation... Whence came these words... Out of the eloquence of statesmen and the plain words of simple men. Words to remember now. Words to rededicate the hopes and aspirations of all men to the sure and certain victory of universal liberty and freedom. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, 
we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Thank you, Tyrone Power. Our original story tonight was written especially for Cavalcade by Robert Richards. The orchestra and original musical score on this program were under the personal direction of Robert Armbruster. Tyrone Power appeared through courtesy of 20th Century Fox, in whose production, This Above All, he may now be seen. Ray Collins appeared tonight through courtesy of RKO. This is John Heaston sending best wishes from the DuPont Company. came to you from Hollywood. This is the National Broadcasting Company. The Cavalcade of America, sponsored by DuPont, maker of better things for better living through chemistry, presents Walter Houston in a mask for Jefferson. Tonight, in commemoration of the 201st anniversary of the birth of Thomas Jefferson, our cavalcade play utilizes two widely spaced events that took place in Jefferson's lifetime. At the venerable age of 82, he sat for his life mask with almost fatal results. What did he think about on that occasion? Using a recorded but little-known incident that occurred at the firing of the first shots of the French Revolution, the author of tonight's play, Arthur Arendt, has reconstructed this event in terms of Jefferson's remembrance as he faced death by strangulation. And in this remembrance is a teaching for our day. DuPont presents Walter Houston as Thomas Jefferson in A Mask for Jefferson on the Cavalcade of America. today in Cooperstown, New York, a museum, a national shrine. Here are captured forever, in plaster and canvas, the shadows of men who walked through history, who long ago plotted the course steered by our country through its turbulent journeyings into the strange waters of self-government. One of the most prized of these exhibits is a life mask of Thomas Jefferson at the venerable age of fourscore and two. The gentleman who made it was a certain J.H. Brower, Esquire. And the circumstances surrounding its creation were most unusual. The event occurred in the afternoon of October 15th, 1825, at Monticello, Jefferson's home in Virginia. I'm at your service, uh, Mr. Brower, although I must admit to a certain, uh, let us say, uh, reluctance. Now, uh, if your excellency would be so good as to lie down... Already... Are we to have no conversation, then? No preparation for this uh, flight into the unknown? Oh, I assure your excellency. Uh, by your leave, Mr. Brower. My name is Jefferson. I am nobody's excellency. You were saying... Uh, I was about to assure you that the process is a simple one and quickly over with. 
Mr. James Madison. Yes, I know. Madison sent you. You've made one of your portrait busts of him and Mrs. Madison. Who else? I have additionally been honored by having sit for me the three captors of Major Andre, the British spy. Brave, incorruptible men. They deserve well of posterity. May I ask the reason for that witch's brew you're stirring in my daughter's second best crock? The uh, grout, sir. It is, if I may say so, a secret mixture of plasters and other ingredients known only to myself and to my son. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't suppose you're aware, sir, that the art of taking caste is an ancient and honorable one, dating back to the early Greeks? Indeed. Yes. Yes, it was at the time of Alexander, I believe, that the first one was struck off by an Athenian named... Uh, uh, Lysistratus? Exactly, sir. It mm. was therefore a lost art until an Italian by the name of... Uh, uh, Verrocchio? Uh, quite so. Mm. Well, sir, this Verrocchio, who became known as the teacher of Donatello... The pupil of Donatello, I believe. The teacher of Leonardo da Vinci. Well... <laughs> but forgive me, I, I interrupt your learned discourse. Ah, Patsy, come in. This is Mr. Brower, my daughter, Mrs. Randolph. How do you do? Mr. Brower has journeyed from distant places, my dear, to make a warranted facsimile of this unworthy original in plaster. But, Father, you're not well. The doctor warned you to remain in bed. Well, I'll make every effort to be as brief as possible, madam. Mm, proceed, Mr. Brower. My 82 years are in your hands. Treat them gently and with consideration. They tried. Mm. Another pillow for your head, Father? One is enough, my dear. What would posterity think of my requiring two pillows? Proceed, Mr. Brower. Yes. Yeah. Comfortable, sir? Well, I can still breathe. No worse than a barber so far. Patsy, go talk to the children or do something. You make me nervous standing there. Well, I'd rather not, Father. And it's, uh, it's time for your tea. I do not wish any thank you. And kindly assure her, Mr. Brower, that you do not intend... To assassinate me. The process is entirely painless, madam. A few more coats of the plaster until a shell is formed. It then comes off as easily as a mold from a cupcake. Very well. I'd like to see it when it's finished. And, Father, please be careful. Uh, your, uh, your plaster is beginning to harden, sir. I feel a decided tension of the skin. All is as it should be, Mr. Jefferson. All fitting and proper. In just a few moments, we'll lift it off, and then... And then, posterity will be taken care of. Quite so, sir. Oh, oh Mr. Jefferson. Mr. Jefferson. Mr. Jefferson, are you all right? Is the mask too tight around your neck? Is it choking you? Mr. Jefferson. Mr. Jefferson. Hold on, Mr. Jefferson. Yes, and then posterity will be taken care of. Yes, Thomas Jefferson. Posterity will be taken care of. Posterity. Do you know I have sometimes asked myself whether my country is a better place for my having lived at all? I do not know that it is. I have been the instrument of doing many things, but they would have been done by others. Some of them, perhaps, a little better. But they will remember you, Thomas Jefferson, author of the Declaration of Independence, President of the United States, Governor of Virginia. <laughs> 
I wrote Virginia's law for religious freedom, the first in the colonies. I, those are the things they'll remember me by. But there are others, Thomas Jefferson, men you worked with, giants, giants to you here. Washington, old Dr. Franklin, Madison, John Adams, Lafayette. Lafayette. Lafayette, a marquis, and yet a Republican. I remember now, posterity, something posterity will never know, an intimate personal detail. You're remembering now, Thomas Jefferson. You're remembering the moment the great French Revolution stopped. Stopped for you, Thomas Jefferson, as time itself stood still. To permit you to ride by in your carriage. Yes, I remember now. I remember Paris, 1789. Franklin had been minister to France. I succeeded him. Paris, 1789. Revolution in the air. Revolution. A day in July. Monsieur, the Marquis de Lafayette and three gentlemen to see you. My dear Jefferson, how good to see you. It's like old times, eh? In more ways than one, I take it. Mr. Jefferson, may I present Monsieur A, Monsieur B, and Monsieur C. Monsieur, Mr. Thomas Jefferson. How do you do, Monsieur? As you suspect... This is not an ordinary visit, Jefferson. To me, your visits are never ordinary, Monsieur le Marquis. In truth, it is probably the most extraordinary visit you've ever had. Sir, we come for advice on a most delicate matter. If I can be of service, gentlemen, you may rely on my discretion, even to the forgetting of names I have not been told. You have not been told them for good reason, mon ami. As I've said... This is a most delicate matter, but not for us, for you. Indeed. We are a committee, Mr. Jefferson, representative of the people of France who wish to achieve in our country those certain inalienable rights of which you have written. And realizing your position here as an ambassador accredited to the present government of France, we do not wish to embarrass you. Thank you, Lafayette. I understand. What is it you wish? Above all things, Thomas Jefferson, we wish you were a Frenchman. And that being impossible, we come for the next best thing, advice. You have traveled extensively in our country, monsieur. What have you seen? This republican form of government you have in America, will it work? And above all, monsieur, tell us what we must do and how we are to do it. Uh, One moment, gentlemen, one moment, please. Mr. Jefferson... I must warn you again that what you are about to say and do would be considered a violation of protocol, and if discovered, sufficient reason for demanding your recall. Fair statement, Lafayette, and I thank you for it. Gentlemen, draw up your chairs. Wine? Lafayette? Merci. Wine, Monsieur A? Merci, Monsieur. The condition of your country is deplorable. When I succeeded Dr. Franklin as minister, I visited your people in the fields and in their homes. 
The country was new to me, and I gazed about with interest that rapidly turned into horror at what I saw. Of the 20 millions of souls in the French country, 19 millions were more wretched, more accursed in every circumstance of human existence than the most conspicuously wretched individual in all the United States. I said to myself, how little do my countrymen realize what precious blessings they are in possession of in which no other people on earth enjoy. I have been shocked to the very marrow by the forlorn villages and the indescribable poverty of the peasants. All go about badly clothed. With certain exceptions, of course. We, oui, the king has a number of friends. They all dress well. Your people are ground to powder by the vices of your form of government. I say that the mass of mankind was not born with saddles on their backs, nor a favored few booted and spurred, ready to ride them legitimately by the grace of God. Agreed, my friend. And now the streets of Paris are hushed with the calm before the storm. The king walks about the gardens of Versailles, chin dangling. Only the queen. Never mind, the less said about our charming madame, the better. But the king is willing to compromise. We have it on highest authority. He will accept a constitution. Also a popular escort headed by a guard's regiment under Lafayette here. He offers to assume the cockade. What else? What else, monsieur? There is something else. There is a republic. The people cry for it, go into their homes, listen to them talk. It is as if all their life was squeezed into one single solitary thought, a republic. Gentlemen, this is an historic hour in the circumstance of your country. Out of such circumstances there shines one brief golden moment which, if unimproved, disappears forever. What do you refer, monsieur? I refer to that fleeting second when time stands still and the opportunity is presented for revolution by due course of law. Then you would have us accept this compromise. The question, I believe, channels down to this. Is or is not democracy a legitimate commodity of export? To the best of my knowledge and experience, it is. If it isn't, it ought to be. Gentlemen, I urge you to secure what the government is now ready to yield. Trust to future occasions for what might be still wanting. Of the utmost vital importance would be a new constitution. I, uh, I would suggest that you spend the remaining hours in its contemplation. I must insist, however, in view of my official position, that you refrain from consulting me about it uh, uh, officially. You are listening to Walter Houston as Thomas Jefferson in A Mask for Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson, in his 82nd year, has been persuaded to allow a life mask to be taken by a sculptor named Brower. The plaster is applied, and in the process of the mask making, Jefferson's breathing is slightly cut off, and he's in danger of strangulation. While efforts are being made to remove the smothering plaster, Jefferson's mind ranges over his past. As our DuPont cavalcade play continues, Jefferson, played by Walter Houston is remembering an incident which happened to him in Paris in the year 1789. His friend Lafayette and several political acquaintances have just finished an important meeting. It all comes back to me now, clearly, clearly. Through the night we labored mightily, and with the dawn there had emerged a new constitution for the government of France. France. 
The following morning, as I was practicing a sonata, Patsy came into the room. You're up early, Father. Am I, my dear? You needn't look so virtuous. I'm quite certain you never went to bed at all. Did you? I thought not. Is that the way to take care of your health? Father. Yes, my dear? Have you eaten any breakfast? No, my dear. The post just arrived. There are two letters from Virginia. Thank you, my dear. Father. Yes, my dear? Aren't you well? Yes, I'm very well, Patsy, in a bodily sense. Where are you going? For your breakfast. I often wonder what would happen if you didn't have me around. Wait a moment. Patsy, there are times, as you'll find out one day, when zeal and enthusiasm obscure the dictates of wisdom. It happened to me last night. Last night? You mean having Monsieur de Lafayette and those others here in our house? Having them here, no. No, Lafayette is one of my oldest friends. Between him and myself, there is the comradeship of those who have emerged from trial by fire. But to have them here for the purpose for which they came, to advise and abet them, that was an error of judgment. Because of your official position, Father? Yes. It is possible I have done my country a great disservice. Perhaps I should pay a little visit to the foreign office, a little chat with... Come in. A letter for Monsieur Jefferson. It has just arrived by messenger from Monsieur de Montmorin. Thank you, Albert. Do it here, Patsy. Hmm. Looks like the thatch in the fire, my dear. Monsieur de Montmorin is the foreign minister. He begs that I call on him at once. Better start packing, Patsy. I think they're going to demand that I be recalled. Uh, that, Your Excellency, in all truth and candor, is how it happened. It was in my mind to pay you a visit when your message arrived. Let it be understood, Monsieur, that I retract nothing and regret nothing as a private individual. As an official of my government, I fear I have been indiscreet. Monsieur Jefferson, it is with much pleasure that I have listened to what you have told me, uh, such of it as you have... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, seen fit to mention. I'm an honor bound, monsieur, not to betray... But of course, you have told me nothing except that a meeting took place at your home. A somewhat irregular meeting, but I was aware of that, monsieur. And now permit me to tell you something. The decisions you arrived at, the plans you contrived, the constitution that you helped create will never emerge from the paper they were written on. It is I who am sorry for that. I beg your pardon? Yes, Monsieur Jefferson. We had high hopes of that meeting in your home. Revolution is not an end in itself, but the means to an end. And the more violent the means, the more likely the end is to be obscured. We had hoped, as you did, that the golden moment for revolution by due course of law was at hand. But even as our chosen delegates conferred at your house... It was sleeping by, and now it is gone. Look through this window, monsieur. See the people are milling about in the streets. They have waited too long for their rights, and the time to compromise is past. Any moment now there will be an outbreak of violence. Heads will fall, 
and some in the excitement by mistake. And, and so I feel it my duty to advise extreme caution, monsieur, on your return to your house. It's absurd. You're coming to fetch me this way, Patsy. I'm in no danger. But, Father, the mobs are loose all over the streets. I've heard there's an angry crowd outside the Bastille. We are Americans, my dear. Nothing can happen to us. And between you and me, our hearts are with those enslaved wretches who ask only for the labor with which to earn their bread. Get it. Where are you going, coachman? There's a mob at the end of the street, monsieur. I can see them from here. They don't like people who ride in carriages. Stay to your course. Do you hear? Stay to your course. Father, they're firing on the barracks. See? Do you think it would be better Stay if... Stay to your course, coachman. Where are we, Patsy? In the Place Louis Can, I believe. Look about you, then. This is an historic moment. The opening gun in mankind's struggle for his birthright on the continent of Europe. Drink it in, my dear. Drink deeply. By now you are against this violence. It's dangerous to keep going. Hear that? Hear that, Patsy? Hear that? Six Semper Tyrannus. Liberty and freedom. They're blocking the road. Father, please tell him to turn now before it's too late. Coachman, stay to your course. Full speed ahead. Father, I'm afraid. They look so angry. Father, they're coming at us. Father, they're... Who's in there? Come on, show us your face. Well, look who's here. An aristocrat! And his daughter. Out with them! Take them out! Jump the carriage! And hit the horses! Aristocrat! One moment, citizens! You in there. What's your name? My name is Thomas Jefferson. This is my daughter. He says his name's Jefferson! Uh, It's a little late in life for your christening, eh? I am the American minister to France. Minister! <laughs> Silence! In seriousness, monsieur, you are really this great American, this leader of the people. I am Thomas Jefferson. These papers will prove it. Yes, All right. Silence! Cease firing! Cease firing! Proceed, Thomas Jefferson. For you who have led the way... The people of France stand aside. Citizens, present arms. Mr. Jefferson. Mr. Jefferson, sir. Are you all right? Father, Father, answer me. Breathe deeply, sir. Deeply. There you are. Mr. Brower. And Patsy. Oh, Father, I I was afraid. I was afraid you... Afraid that I was dead? Not yet, my dear. I insist upon dying of old age, although Mr. Brower seems to have other ideas. Uh, What happened, sir? The plaster hardened too quickly in the region of the windpipe. You were almost... uh, Strangulated, sir. I shudder to think of what posterity would say if we... Posterity, Mr. Brower. Sir, I do here and now bid adieu forever to all busts and portraits. Posterity, eh? 
Well, there's one for them to remember. What did you say, Father? An intimate personal detail. Could I have averted the French Revolution? Of course not. Nor would I have wanted to. When the people wish to speak out, no man's hand can stay them. Still... Father, are you all right? Those Frenchmen who stopped my carriage, had they really ever heard of me, or were they merely being polite to a foreign gentleman and his daughter? Mr. Jefferson, sir, shall I summon a physician? <clears throat> physician? Certainly not. Mr. Brower, your visit, apart from itself producing a new memoir for posterity, has stimulated my appetite. Will you join me? Patsy? Tea. If you enjoyed that golden age of radio production, be sure to follow the Riley and Kimmy show. We feature old time radio shows from time to time. We have archived episodes available right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Some of them have old time radio episodes on them. Please tell your friends about the Riley and Kimmy show. Help us grow. Our social media links are available on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That's R I L E Y. And Kimmy, K-I-M-M-Y, dot com. If you friend, follow, and like us, we will friend and follow you back. Also, be sure to check out our website, events page, and our social media pages for updates where the Riley and Kimmy show will be appearing next. And we're available for your pop culture event and also those that are animal-based, about pets and animals, too. We have a spinoff show called Animal Special. So be sure to tell your friends about us. It's the Riley and Kimmy Show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Find archive podcasts of the Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.